friends, and welcome back to Ghoul's Night In, the spooky chat show with your best ghoul friends. I'm Penny Snark. And I'm Edge Munster. And this Penny today is an episode I have been wanting to do for such a long time, and I have been waiting for the right moment, and I'm so excited to finally talk about our queen, our bisexual icon, Miss Mary Shelley. (laughs) Oh, such an icon. Such an icon. A goth Uh, bisexual woman of our dreams. Exactly. she is so incredible if you watched queer for fear you may have a little bit of this backstory about um this like the newer developments not newer in the context of she wrote things about it when she was alive so that's (laughs) certainly not new um but that it is becoming more accepted that she was a bisexual woman um but she's also just an incredible human being and i can't wait to share with you a bunch of information about her (laughs) Uh, i will say i know there's a lot of people who are like mary shelley diehards and while i love her i only really started learning about her in the last like couple of years so please be kind to me if i um, get anything (laughs) wrong here and correct me and let me know but in a nice way Please be nice. Please be nice. I just want to tell her story well. That's honestly why I put this episode off so long. I was like, I want to tell yeah. it the right way because she's so, she's so great. But let's let's jump in. Uh, it's important to note uh, of all the things that you know, Mary Shelley became and who she was. Where that all kind of started, first and foremost, was with her upbringing and her parents. Um, she was born in London in 1797 to father William Godwin and mother Mary Wollstonecraft, which is an incredible last name. (laughs) Um, and they were both also exceptional human beings. Uh, her father was a very well-known and respected philosopher who had written a whole inquiry on political justice and, uh this his writing basically became the the bible for british radicals during the french revolution oh yeah and his work is the first real modern work to flesh out the idea of anarchy (laughs) uh so already starting out strong yes we have we have people with a lot of bold ideas who are not conforming to society's norms uh mary's mother a lot of you may already know was also a pioneer Um, and has been deemed by many as Britain's first feminist. Uh, By the time she married Mary's father, she had already, like, traveled the world by herself and mothered a child out of wedlock, and which, you know, escandalo at the time. Escandalo. (laughs) That's actually, I always title my sections as I'm writing these podcast episodes. (laughs) And the the first part of this is titled Mary's Early Life slash Escandalo. Excellent. (laughs) Um, but Mary's mom, she authored a vindication for rights of women is the the name of the piece she wrote. And she was a champion for equal education for women. She believed that parenting responsibilities should be equally divided between both parties in the household. She was just like Miss Equality for female people. An icon also. An icon. Um, unfortunately, our icon died only 11 Mm. days after Mary was born. Rip. Uh, So while Mary didn't have her mother in her life influencing her, she was still a really profound 
part of Mary's life. Um, she learned about her through her writings and Mary's father wrote a, a biography about Mary's mother um, later. And that was actually quite a, another scandal <laughs> because um, both parents were really progressive and that book kind of shined a light on some more non-traditional things that were happening in their household. They had a fairly chill view of monogamy and weren't super like, it wasn't like a big deal to them, yeah. uh, which now let, let's, let's hunker down here. Most people at this time would have been like, that's scandalous. But also mm -hmm. most of these people we know were doing some oh, yeah. kind of something, right? Oh yeah. You just <laughs> they didn't were... talk about it. Right. So really what was happening here is that the Godwin Wollstonecrafts uh, were just honest about it. They were just like, yeah, that's what we're doing. Um, they raised Mary's mother's other daughter, Fanny, um, from her lover together. And then they also uh, had a, a second daughter, Claire, who was the daughter of Mary's father and his lover, also named Mary. <laughs> Everybody's name. There's a lot, of, lot of Marys in here. There's something about Mary. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, his lover, uh, Mary Jane Claremont, they had a daughter, which they named Claire. I can't get over this. Who names their child Claire Claremont? That's a hate crime. That's rough. That's I hate rough, it. Guys. Uh, so yeah, Claire Claremont uh, is born just a few months before Mary Shelley, uh, and they were raised together. Uh, after the passing of Mary's mother, her father does end up marrying Claire's mom, and then you know they're a blended family from that point forward. But uh, she has a pretty good relationship with her her stepsister. But they kind of aired all this out to the public and were like, yeah, we're blended. We're cool. We have lovers. We raise each other's <laughs> children. We're like a little commune. It's cool. And uh, people did not think that was cool. <laughs> no. <laughs> They're like, uh, in fact, we do not find this cool. In fact, no. Um, but again, very informative to Mary Shelley's upbringing and how she saw the world. Um, mm -hmm. Her her parents were very... Uh, similar to like the the free love movement of the 60s they were just kind of like self before all and just you know if you feel that something is right for you you should do it so at 16 mary meets uh poet percy bish shelley <laughs> <laughs> that's his name b-y-s-s-h-e bish right, which uh i love that I, i'm gonna actually change my name to midge bish uh, swish swish bitch <laughs> um but they begin like a, a pretty hot and heavy affair from the get-go and mary's 16 he's 21 but you know it it's 17 what something at this point yeah. so unfortunately that's pretty pretty normal um but they're really drawn to each other because they're both highly intelligent and they both are pretty radical in the society of london at this time um percy is known for his writing and has kind of he's been thrown out of oxford at this point oh like he's he, he, i read one thing that called him the bad boy of oxford <laughs> <laughs> um but he's been thrown out of college because he's writing all kinds of radical stuff about the government and um he is also married at this point already when he meets 
Mary Shelley. Yes. Um, well, she's not Mary Shelley yet. I guess she's Mary Godwin yeah. at this mm-hmm. point. But um, he, like a few months after he gets married, he's writing this manifesto about how being married is like being dead at the and alive at the same time because like a part of your soul dies when you get married. <laughs> thanks percy so, yeah so he's not um a proponent of marriage and yet here we are uh but we believe that even though he was you know not super about marriage and mary was obviously pretty open to the idea of non-monogamy uh they were still kind of keeping their affair a secret and for that reason a story which many of us know uh, they would meet in private at her mother's grave because that's a normal thing to do with your lover the most romantic place that you could hang out (laughs) yes uh i don't know whose idea this was but i have a feeling it was mary's yeah most i feel like that's likely yeah because like (laughs) If it wasn't, what a weird suggestion, Percy. <laughs> like, right. hey, you want to meet me at your dead mom's grave? Um, but also, like, regardless, Mary going for the idea of, like, if you want to be my lover, you got to kiss me over my dead mom's body is, like, the most goth thing that I can possibly think yep. of. And many people believe that this is also where she uh, was deflowered <laughs> uh, and that they would have their their relations at her mother's grave so i'm doing eyebrow things you can't see (laughs) og goth girl mary shelley yes uh so at the late after a couple you know months of this uh her and percy are kind of discovered found out mary's father is not happy uh even though percy was kind of a like educational disciple of her father uh he's an adult and mary's 16 and they're like that's not cool so mary and percy decide to elope and in 1814 they leave town uh when and at that point they are expecting their their first child their daughter clara was born the following year clara again well yeah there's only two names in this family (laughs) it was claire before now this is claire uh Uh, okay (laughs) so we've we've spiced it up still (laughs) no i know i had that same i was like god dang people (laughs) draw like a a name out of a hat or something right i'm like doesn't does percy not have any names in his family that he'd like to repeat (laughs) well that the other option was to name their daughter bish so (laughs) uh but clara is born the following year when mary is 17 uh clara is born two months premature and unfortunately dies pretty shortly after now this is gonna seem like a hard left but i promise you it's not let's talk about frankenstein (laughs) hey (laughs) um because so much of this lead up is so influential to mary's writing so we all kind of know, I think, the the base story that gets really circulated and romanticized about how Frankenstein came to be. But uh, in case you do not, there after the passing of Clara, um, Mary's sister, Claire, suggested that they take a trip to Switzerland to see her, her lover, who is the poet Lord Byron. And uh, so Percy, Claire, Mary, Lord Byron, and his physician 
wink wink <laughs> you know <laughs> you know you know uh, you know when you bring your physician with yeah, you yeah your, your close personal doctor friend um john they all meet together at this villa that is lord byron's in switzerland and on a dark and stormy night they're deciding to pass the time by holding a contest to see who can write the, st- the scariest story and uh that's how you know it's commonly told how frankenstein came to be which it, it is that is what happened but <laughs> um i think a lot of people credit it like sure this is the the perfect setting to write a horror novel in you know there's this spooky house and you're on a creepy lake and it's storming and you're with your friends and you're doing opium and <laughs> um but there were lots of things that led up to her having the idea for this story we already addressed the fact that mary is the original goth girl um her interests were weird and vast and fascinating and a lot of them contributed to her ideas to pioneer this this new genre um so she was very interested in science and had been to see demonstrations at the royal institute in london uh, where they would show how electricity could quote reanimate dead muscle tissue Mm. which of course we now know that's not true (laughs) it's just a a reaction to electricity going through muscle tissue Um, but at this time they really believed there might be something to electricity being able to bring the dead back to life and mary was also inspired by a little gentleman by the name of etienne gaspard robert robertson and you may be thinking boy howdy midge that crazy name sure does sound familiar and this was uh, our our guy, our Phantasmagoria guy. Hey! Etienne! Uh, Etienne! So she... <laughs> it's been so long. Yes, yeah, so Etienne uh, was the one who really brought uh, Phantasmagoria to prominence and wrote literally wrote the book on how to produce <laughs> ghost stories. And so Mary had read his book and she was very interested in that idea as well of like setting the scene and telling a scary story. So she had some background there as well. Uh, It's also obviously no secret that Mary's life, while amazing and full of lots of cool things and success was also just wrought with personal tragedy. Mm -hmm. Um, And at this point when she's, 18 like she has only incurred like a small fragment (laughs) of the just awful loss that she will experience over the next several years um but it's already taking its effects on her in a big way and she is having dreams and nightmares and there is a, a recorded instance in her journal where she wrote that she dreamed that her baby clara um when she was born was just cold and that they held her next to the fire and rubbed her body until she warmed up and brought her back to life. And so Mary has a real fascination on this idea of bringing the dead back. And uh, she had heard a story as well of Conrad Dippel, who was supposedly this kind of mad anatomist in Germany who had tried to make a concoction out of blood and bone, like ground up bone that um there's different kind of tellings of this either that he injected it into corpses to bring them back or that it was like an oil meant to be applied to living people to um keep them alive like immortal basically Mm -hmm. uh 
And these events supposedly took place at a castle located on the Rhine River in Germany called the Rock on the Franks, or in German, mm. Borg Frankenstein. <laughs> Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Um, so she had heard these stories. They're at this villa in Switzerland. And in that moment, 18-year-old Mary Shelley not only won that contest amongst her friends, by the way, she, Hell yeah, sm- she did. smoked them. <laughs> Take um, that, Byron. Yeah, F you. No, she they were good friends. It's fine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lord Byron's just you gotta you gotta take your your W's when you can with Lord right, Byron. right 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 right. <laughs> um, but she also in this moment basically single handedly invents horror as we know it, and forever kind of ties gothic literature with horror together in a way that hadn't really been done previously, and so it's uh like I said this moment has been heavily uh, played upon and romanticized mm-hmm. and dramatized but it is a very it's a revolutionary moment in time for sure and so mary then continues to write the story of Frankenstein because obviously she didn't write the whole novel in that night she wrote like a (laughs) a, like a mini version a little mini sode a teaser a teaser an appetizer and then uh goes back and continues to write frankenstein over the next nine months while she is pregnant with her third child we 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 did skip in there uh she (laughs) she had had a second child already by the time they go to uh the the villa their their son william uh who did survive good job Uh, william yay william um but she is pregnant again she's writing and then comes with this first novel and publishers refused to take it (laughs) Um, even with which you know she's in a unique position here where even in this time where women are not really taken seriously she's surrounded herself with men who actually think she's pretty cool like her husband's like into the fact that she's weird and lord byron's a the the king of the disaster bisexuals um so (laughs) Percy and Lord Byron take this like to their publishers and are like, please publish this. And they're like, nah. Uh, So she fights that uphill battle for for quite some time. But then finally in January of 1818, the novel gets published in three volumes by Leckington and Company. However, Mary's name was not published with it. Mm. But they did something big, smart, smart, (laughs) which was there is, however, a dedication to her father. Hey. And the foreword to Frankenstein is written by one Percy Bysshe Shelley. Hmm. How mysterious. Yes. So Who could have written this? Whoever could this be tied to? So people start speculating pretty quick. Well, a lot of people think that that her husband wrote it at first um but people who are like in the know are like yeah that's they're like this goth shit this is mary th- that's mary's shit right there <laughs> uh, well and people knew her parents too yeah. and knew how intellectual they were they knew that mary had received a lot more education than most women would have at that time and that she was very smart so people start connecting the dots and realizing that she's written this um that didn't set well with a lot of people obviously um there was one quote that i absolutely loved um a a review that said like uh the horrors were too exceedingly bizarre and that like it was just uh, absolutely oh yeah um 
British critic wrote, the horror that abounds is so grotesque and bizarre. Like, it, yes, but also, like, have you read Frankenstein? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's any worse than anything else. No, yeah, um, I mean, I mean, I guess, like, in olden times, if you're not used to reading anything that's weird, you're like, what? But What's also, this? Like, I think the idea that a woman could conceive of it yeah. was like what yeah. was really freaking people out, right? Right. How um, very dare a woman be weird? How dare her? Uh, but there were also a lot of really positive reviews that were like, she's a genius, which she was. Mm -hmm. um, and so several years go by, lots of mixed reviews. Uh, during this time, Percy passes away. Mm. And then finally in 1823... Frankenstein is republished with Mary's name on the cover. Yay! Yay! So that's how we get there. Um, and now that we've reached Percy's death, it's time to get into some gay stuff. Um, because Mary is iconic for thousands of reasons. Uh, but obviously the reason, like I said at the beginning, the reason I wanted to talk about her in June is because she's not only the mother of horror, but also the, the mother of being a bisexual icon. <laughs> <laughs> uh and after percy's death in 1822 she writes several things that we have now found that can kind of be the, the foundation for this um including a letter she wrote to close friend edward trelawney in 1835 and uh in the letter her and her friend are discussing he's got a, a crush on a lady and mary is kind of commiserating about her loneliness after the loss of Percy. But she also takes time to acknowledge, hey bud, I get it. I get why you like her. Mm. I do. And this like, is like speaking of having a crush on a lady. <laughs> speaking of which, uh so this is a direct passage from Mary's letter in her words. I do not wonder at your not being able to deny yourself the pleasure of Miss Norton's society. I never saw a woman I thought so fascinating. Had I been a man, I should have certainly fallen in love with her. As a woman, 10 years ago, I should have been spellbound and she had taken and had she taken the trouble, she might have wound me around her finger. 10 years ago, I was so ready to give myself away and being afraid of men, I was apt to get tousy mousy for women. Experience and suffering have altered all of that. I am now more wrapped up in myself, my own feelings, disasters, and prospects for <laughs> Percy. I am now proof, as Hamlet says, both against man and woman. So, that's gay. Um, that's super gay. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, the time she's referring to 10 years ago would have been uh, right after percy's death because this is 1935 that she's writing or not 1935 35. whoa 1835 Wee, excuse me shelly got very old <laughs> she lived to be 300 no um so yeah 1835 is when she's writing this uh percy passed in 1822 so it's been a, a good amount of years here mm -hmm. um and for those who don't know this because why would you uh Towsy mousy <laughs> to which she is referring um uh, is oldie slang for doing stuff with ladies and it's not like flirting it's an overtly like sexual connotation um so she is literally saying that she was so done with men that she would rather like be with women 
Um, and around this time, the 10 year gap that we're talking about, she also had a very close relationship with a woman named Jane Williams, who was a close friend of hers and Percy's uh, when he was alive. And uh, by close friend, I mean, she was actually, Percy was sleeping with her also. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Jane was also married and her husband was also good friends with them. They had kind of a little like thing going on they were all kind of like polycule little polycule they're all living together they're very close um and uh percy and edward jane's husband in fact are are so close that they died together on a ship they 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 go on a I just, I just love that. I mean, it just goes with the theme of this episode where you're like, you know what the gayest thing you can do is? Die together on a ship. Yeah. Well, and they, they literally were like, we're going to go sailing in a storm. See you guys later. And Mary and Jane were like, maybe don't do that. And they were like, no, we're super good at it. And then they drowned. Apparently and not. There was also a lot of rec- like recorded documentation that uh, Percy had had several uh what is it called like premonition dreams Mm -hmm. of his own death that he was going to drown but then like refused to learn how to swim and then went sailing in a storm with his possibly gay lover question mark there was a lot happening um percy also though just like had a death wish and was very macabre which is why him and mary worked i think yeah um there's also like recorded instances where he kept trying to commit suicide and then like wanted mary to like pull a romeo and juliet with him and she was like what if instead we just eloped and didn't <laughs> she was like, like percy we'd... chill <laughs> she's like i'll have sex on my mother's grave but this is where i draw the line <laughs> <laughs> uh so but after the death of both of their husbands in the in the sailing incident jane and mary obviously have a very close relationship due to the mutual loss at the same time and they they bond real hard and they start jane goes back to england because they're living together uh, in italy at this point and jane returns to england and they start sending very passionate letters back and mm-hmm. forth um which you know if we're gonna explain the gay away sure these women are experiencing extreme loss and are looking for comfort and intimacy sure but also uh it's highly theorized that they had a romantic and likely sexual relationship and it is very likely that jane was the first woman that mary got towsy mousy with after percy died and in april 1925 so this is three years after god i keep saying 19 1825 (laughs) three years after percy's death uh she wrote another letter that said when i return to italy i shall endeavor to enable her to go thither also i shall not come without my jane who is now necessary to my existence almost entirely so very very much passion and love between these women uh now i suppose like i said this isn't hard proof of bisexuality and i'm certain that there are lots of historians who will adamantly argue against this but uh if 
Mary was bisexual, which I believe she was, it wouldn't be surprising given the very open-minded way in which she was mm -hmm. raised. Um, also, as we've discussed previously, there are lots of queer undertones strewn through her writing. Yeah. Uh, and that's, it was so funny, you know, if you're listening to this in real time, we just did the, the Rocky Horror episode last week and Penny yes. literally talks about how Rocky <laughs> Horror takes the subtext of Frankenstein and brings it out loud and in front. Um, and so, yeah, even though in that context, we're talking more, uh, male homosexuality undertones it's there and yes. she was writing from a personal perspective right uh, and like i said she's just association with lord byron at minimum should be like oh so you're also gay <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> there was lots of speculation that they were also like the shelleys together were also kind of in a relationship with lord byron um th lots of disaster bisexual tendencies happening all around. Uh, but Mary was at least cool with the gays at minimum. And uh, like I said, I heavily believe that she was one of us. There's also a really amazing story about Mary helping. So as she continues to write, she her influence just skyrockets as Frankenstein becomes more popular. And um, Lord Byron throughout the whole time was like team mary he was very like <laughs> loudly like she rocks and everybody was like yeah she does um so even though it sucks you know being a woman at this time the support of a man in high status was you know a resounding like yay yeah um and so she gets to a place where she's pretty affluent she's using her money to unapologetically help women in who have been like cast off by society. So obviously a lot of women in like sexual scandals where they've had children out of wedlock or mm -hmm. whatever. Uh, and there's this really amazing story about Mary helping a woman who was pregnant escape to Italy and basically smuggling her out of the country with the help of this like swashbuckling lesbian lady who ran scams. <laughs> And right. the 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 woman that like runs these scams does drag as a man and pretends to be pregnant women's husbands to smuggle them out of the country. Iconic. And Mary was like using her money to fund this to help women get to safety. We need a movie about this. Right? <laughs> I was like, this is incredible. <laughs> um, so it's there whether or not you want to believe it it's there yeah. and uh whether or not mary was queer even though i really truly believe she was she she was just an iconic woman who was ahead of her time in so many ways and we have literally the rest of horror history to thank like her for she yes. made it what it was and i mean there are a, a thousand uh, awesome ladies along that road as well in preparation for this episode, I read the book that I have been talking about all over hey! my platforms, Monster <laughs> She Wrote, um, and I would highly, highly recommend you go check that out if you have interest in Mary or anything, you know, relating to the, it's, honestly, Mary is a pretty small portion of that book. Um, it's amazing how many 
incredible women have paved the path for horror literature and film and everything. It, it's hell yeah, hell yeah, very cool. Hell yeah, women. <laughs> Woo! But that's a little dive into our girl Mary Shelley and all the wonderful, cool, crazy goth shit she did. Uh, <laughs> um, if you would like to tell us about how much you like hearing about Mary, let us know. <laughs> I yeah. don't know what that transition was. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I got, uh, there. I, I got uh, like stuck in my, my brainwave. Anyway, <laughs> if you're enjoying Ghoul's Night In, let us know. Uh, we can take reviews on Apple Podcasts, or if you cannot uh, leave a review where you listen, please consider just you know dming us on instagram or whatever works for you we're happy to accept reviews a multitude of ways but i believe penny has one for us today i sure do uh this five-star review comes from bloody clam and is titled midge and penny are spooktacular spooktacular i found out about this show while binge watching midge's youtube channel the second i began (laughs) listening i subscribed these two ladies are a hoot, and their shows are well-researched and packed with ghoulish factoids. They keep the shows fun with their catchy, upbeat banter and interesting topics. I'm always eagerly awaiting the next show to drop. Keep up the great work. I'm hooked. Uh, and then we've got a bunch of spooky emojis, um, and this is signed Lily M. So Aww. thank you very much, Lily. <laughs> Lily M? Lily Munster? Lily Munster? My, my oh. mother? <laughs> that's awesome well thank you so much for that and uh if you would like to if you want to send us a review via dm or just to keep up with what's going on here on the podcast you can follow us over on instagram at ghouls night in pod uh we also i i've noticed this week in particular we've had a lot of folks buying ghouls night in merch i've been getting lots of notifications about that that's very exciting so thank you to those of you who uh bought sweatshirts and things this week um but if you would like to check that out that is available uh there's a link on our instagram as well that you can check out uh sweatshirts and tote bags and t-shirts and stickers and mugs and the like and if you are looking for me, you can find me across all platforms at Midge Munster. And if you are looking for me, you can find me at Penny Snark. And until next time, good bye. bye.